Earth welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer our medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Thanks for being here with us today. You're welcome. We are going to hit some heat today, it sounds like. So it is warming up. Yeah. We talked briefly last week with Dr. Johnston about the heat and some things to do to keep us safe in the heat. But I think we should dive into that some more this week, just knowing it's hot here and it's hot yeah. Many places I mean, across luck, the country. We kind of got lucky and were spared of some of the really bad heat waves that a lot of our country has been tolerating these last couple of weeks. But yeah, we're getting it this week, aren't we? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. So what is a heat stroke, Dr. Evans? Yeah. So heat stroke is, it's a, it's a dangerous condition. I mean, people die of this every year in the United States. Um, it basically is when your body loses its ability to keep cooling itself because of extreme heat. Um, And so it usually happens in fairly extreme heat for prolonged periods of time. What we see when people come in, for example, to the emergency room is very high body temperatures. So very high, you know, 104, 105 body temperatures and difficult to cool off. And so um, people can suffer from cardiac arrest and other organ injuries when that happens. So it is, you know, it's not just theoretical. This is, this can really be dangerous. And so important to be mindful of it. It's not just that I feel uncomfortable. Right. Like, oh, I don't feel so great, but I can suffer through this. I mean, exactly. I mean, if your body is really feeling badly pushing through it's not always the right thing so if you're outside in this heat and you're starting to feel dizzy or nauseated we'll see people you know vomit from the heat often before they get to the more extreme it's just time to take a break from whatever you're doing and Mm -hmm. probably the I mean the people that I worry about the most are the the folks who have to work outside in these Mm -hmm. conditions you know and they do jobs that they are forced to be outside all day Um, so making sure that there's good plans for taking breaks indoors or in the shade and having plenty to drink and and cooling down times is really important for those workers in our neighborhood i've seen a couple different houses getting new roofs mm-hmm. right now and i was oh like gosh. oh up I on know. that hot roof yeah <laughs> yeah i know, I, know. I see him taking breaks so that's good yep. but man being up there yeah um, has to be hot yeah yeah so you know just be mindful i mean the people at highest risk of truly having heat stroke are the very elderly and little babies mm-hmm. so of course i mean if you have a small infant keep them inside when you can or if you do have to be outside make sure that they're shaded and um, getting a fan part of that is just because their bodies don't have the mechanisms to cool down they don't have that sort of self-regulating sweating that cools them down um, so that they can overheat really easily um, and the same as people get older they lose that ability to kind of for their bodies to cope with those temperatures extremes. Sure. Mm -hmm. So be aware if you're kind of in those ages or if you're caring for someone in those ages to just be extra, extra aware of those things. Yeah. When I was 
five years old. My mm-hmm. family took a trip to Florida, to Disney, you mm-hmm. know, the big trip everyone dreams of taking their kids on, you know. And um, my, I got too warm apparently and ended up in the nurse's station at oh, Disney yeah. and uh I, I don't remember a lot about it, but apparently I wasn't doing so great. And yeah. I ended up spending a couple days actually being pushed around in a wheelchair because oh, I still wanted to like go <laughs> see some things, right. but I just was weak and just had to like yeah. recover. So, um, yeah, so it could really, it can really hit kids. It can, it can hit yeah. adults. And, yep. Yeah. Yep. And you'll notice, I mean, if you're someone who likes to exercise outdoors, your capacity to do the things you normally do is not going to be the same. And so accept that, be okay with it. If you're not going to run as fast or as far, when in the heat, um, that is that is expected, and don't try to push yourself past you know a reasonable level of discomfort. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some things we can do to help prevent it. Because I I mean I know like you said people are working out in mm-hmm. the heat. I know there's baseball tournaments coming up, right. kids and right. umpires and everyone out in the heat. What are some of the things we should be aware of to help us? We know we're going to be out in the heat. Yeah. So I mean I think. The basics are as as much and as often as you are able to find shade, then find shade. You know, mm-hmm. if you're doing an activity that allows you to go in and out of the shade, just do that. Um, just because the, the temperature is so much cooler in the shade. Um, having, so being prepared, bringing along cold water and ice if you can. So like, for example, at a baseball game, that's a great tool. Like have, have a way to get a cold wet towel Mm -hmm. so you know maybe your player between innings can put that cold icy towel around their neck and cool down when they're in the dugout or something like that Um, or if you're watching you know you have the opportunity to do that and then plenty of water and fluids water and sports drinks Mm -hmm. um, along is so hydration is really really important because we lose a lot of fluid and salt for that matter so you know if you're going to be out watching baseball for 10 hours and it's all day like maybe pack something besides water do some sports drink or something like that that has some sodium and electrolytes in it too so explain that to us a little bit what's the physiology with all of that you know that work? well I mean our bodies need all of those things mm-hmm. and so if you're losing when you lose sweat you're losing not just water you're losing a lot of sodium and some other electrolytes too so if you're putting out a lot of sodium and not replacing any of that for a long period of time you can get some symptoms of having low sodium which is also not very fun or comfortable you can feel pretty weak and even confused at more extremes so mm-hmm. yeah Gotcha. I mean, that's that's extreme, and hopefully people have an opportunity to, you know, cool off and stuff like that. But, yeah, right. I mean, there are people out there, and certainly in other parts of the country, that have are going to have a hard time avoiding being out for prolonged hours in the heat. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like when I put sunscreen on, mm-hmm. I can tolerate the heat better. Yeah. How does that work? How, like... It, it might depend on what type of sunscreen you use. I mean, so in, in theory, you're not absorbing all those UV rays into your skin. So there might be some truth to that. I mean, I think the other really simple things to stay cool are wearing a hat, even mm-hmm. a wide-brimmed hat, because that gives you, like, you know, at least a small, you know diameter of shade on your face and and other parts of your body that can get really hot but you know sunscreen for many other reasons is is something that we want or you know instead of wearing you know tank tops and stuff like that you can also wear you know cool light long sleeve clothing that might wick away um 
wick away the sweat, mm-hmm. but also reflect the sun a little bit more. Sure. Protect it's light you from color. Those yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So we have some tools available to us to yeah. keep in mind if yeah. we need to be out in the heat. Yeah. And if, we're and if it makes no difference to you, you know what? Like spend the afternoon when it's 98 degrees in your home. Right. It's comfortable in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That air conditioning is feeling quite nice mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> yeah, that is helpful. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're going to go to our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. We had a call come in. This person has lower back pain that extends to her knee and ankle. Mm-hmm. She rides a stationary bike. Is that good or bad for her back issue? Yeah, I mean, I would say on average, it's probably good. Um, you know, so so what this person is describing is probably some sort of nerve impingement process. So we might commonly refer to this as sciatica. So things like a, a, a bulging disc can cause similar symptoms. So there's a variety of things that can cause pain to radiate from the back down one leg if a nerve is being either irritated or pinched. And in general, for most of those things, and certainly for sciatica and most of the more benign things, activity is good. You know, we used to, they, doctors used to tell people to kind of go on bed rest when they came in with bad back pain. And we know that, we know now that that is the wrong advice. So mm-hmm. staying active and trying to keep those muscles loose is almost always the right advice for people um, who've had, you know, some some of these minor back issues. Um, you know, I think activity overall is excellent if you tolerate it. You know, don't do anything that really aggravates it. You may find, depending on what the stationary bike is, if you are having sciatica, that actually the sitting might produce more pressure there. So it would be interesting to know, you know, if the the particular bike, if if some of the pressure just on the buttocks is is causing any more issues. I would add stretching too. So that would be my practical advice: is to you can even just look up online some good stretches for sciatica or low back pain and um, do some stretching. And then if this is something that persists for weeks and weeks and is affecting your ability to tolerate activity, then that's the time to go see someone about it. And sometimes targeted physical therapy can help depending on exactly what your symptoms are. Sometimes imaging is warranted. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those physical therapists are really helpful. Oh, they're the best, aren't they? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Can yep. give some helpful tips and advice. Yeah. And, um, do those things. I know my, my mom has some back issues and mm-hmm. um, loves just going to the pool yeah. and doing the um, fit- she has an option in her community to go to the pool to do some physical therapy and then mm-hmm. she goes on her own and does a, exercises as well just to get that pressure off yeah 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 yep. so. yep. I mean if this person feels like 
the pain actually gets worse to some degree with the biking, then maybe try some other activity that doesn't involve the same sort of sitting position if, mm-hmm. if you're if you're able to. Okay. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, so sciatica. Uh, that is a nerve issue, you said. Right. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A pinching of the nerve? Is yeah, that, and is it's that? often uh, usually more of an irritated nerve and, okay. and usually gets better if you treat sort of the tight musculature of sort of the gluteal muscles and the hamstrings and stuff like that. Um, so that's benign. Of course, there's a lot of back issues that can result in pain down a leg too. And, you know, when when people come into my office with this, this particular thing, you know, it, it can be complicated. A lot of people feel like, well, you know, my friend had an MRI and then had a back surgery and that fixed their symptoms. And it's not always that sort of simple and black and white when it comes to spinal disease um, to intervene on these things, Mm -hmm. which is why most guidelines, unless you're having what we call red flag symptoms, so things that, that make us worry more, tell us to hold off on back imaging like MRI unless this goes on for more than six or eight weeks because most people will actually get better if they're given that much time. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. And of course, surgery is a big deal. So right. um, we don't we don't sort of push everyone down that road right. quickly if we can help it. Right. Mm-hmm. So hopefully time will heal. Yeah. In many mm-hmm. cases. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, I think we'll go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Attention drivers, there are many bikers on the road. Please remember these rules. Share the road. Bicyclists have the same rights to the road as motor vehicles do. It is the law to allow three feet between your car and the bicyclist. Give bicyclists space on the road. When turning right, look right before proceeding. Always check the sidewalks as well as the traffic lanes when merging or turning. Slow down and watch for pedestrians and bicyclists. The Avera Medical Group Brookings encourages drivers as well as bikers to help prevent accidents. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call with your questions at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. During these summer months, we do our encore episodes on the television program of Prairie Doc. And this week we are sharing the hypertension show, the mm-hmm. high blood pressure show. Um, Dr. Evans, let's talk about high blood pressure. What is high blood pressure? Yeah, so if if anyone's been to the doctor's office, you've yes. probably had your blood pressure measured. So we measure, there's two numbers that occur when we measure a blood pressure. One is the systolic pressure. So what is the measured pressure in your arteries um, after your heart, when your heart is sort of beating. Mm-hmm. And then the diastolic or lower number is when your heart is relaxing. What is that pressure in the artery? So there's two numbers. And we, of course, use both of those numbers when we make diagnosis of hypertension. There's kind of guidance around both of those numbers. And so high blood pressure, you know, we call a quote normal blood pressure about 120 over 80. And, you know, there's, there's, there's sort of 
there's a few different guidelines of like what constitutes high blood pressure. Most places will say 130. Most treatment guidelines for otherwise healthy people would involve a blood pressure of 140 over 90. Anything over that, we would recommend treatment. But it depends a little bit about the rest of your medical history. If you've had heart issues, we might be more aggressive in trying to keep your blood pressure low, for example. Okay. Yeah. And what what are the risks with high blood pressure? Why is it such a big deal to stand? Yeah. Up? So so really, the risk of high blood pressure for the vast majority of people is a risk that occurs over decades. So this is like a a. a problem that if you let it go untreated for long enough can cause just wear and tear on the blood vessels. And so that can cause more plaque to build up. You have higher risk of vascular events like heart attacks and strokes are the biggest ones, Mm -hmm. but also things like heart failure. So just the the very act of your heart having to pump against that higher pressure can wear it out over, again, years and decades. And so you can have more cardiovascular problems because of that as well. Gotcha. Yeah. So what can we do to prevent high blood pressure? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, a lot of the things that help high blood pressure or reduce your risk of high blood pressure are the same things we talk about over and over on this show, right? So not smoking. So that would probably the, be the biggest intervention that a person could make would be to quit smoking if you're a smoker. Um And then other things, you know, healthy diet and exercise definitely to some degree and keeping a healthy body weight um, are are all good. That being said, and I say this to patients all the time, you can do everything right and still have high blood pressure. You know, you can have a great lifestyle, um, be a healthy body weight, um, exercise every day. And some people just genetically are set up to have high blood pressure. And so don't don't blame yourself for all of these things. And high blood pressure falls under that category. There are some things you can do, but some people just have it. And so there's probably some genetic component to that as well. Sure. Yeah. So on the um, show, Mm -hmm. you had a nephrologist, Dr. Jose Haneo from um, Monument Health. So a nephrologist is a kidney doctor. Right. So Dr. Evans, help me draw the line between kidney doctor and um, high blood pressure. Yeah. So this is surprising to most people. Like if I have a case that is kind of a uniquely difficult case of high blood pressure, usually the nephrologists are the specialists that we might involve. And that's for a couple of reasons. I mean, so some... Another risk of having long-standing high blood pressure is actually kidney disease. So, of course, the kidneys make it up of these very important blood vessels. That's how our blood gets filtered and all that stuff. So um, high blood pressure can damage those structures of the kidneys. But more than that, some of the things that control blood pressure exist in the kidneys. So a lot of the medications that we use to treat high blood pressure, the place that they act is at the level of the kidney. Um, And part of that is hormonal. So there's kind of these hormonal... um, these hormonal chains that take place at the level of the kidney that help with blood pressure regulation. And then also kidneys eliminate salt and sometimes salt retention and high blood pressure go together. So um, there, there is a strong link. So, sure. you know, I think I would say the specialists that we involve most often when it comes to challenging high blood pressure would be the kidney doctors and the heart doctors. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's challenging high blood pressure. So yeah. let's say normal high blood pressure. Yeah. How do we normally treat high yeah. blood pressure? So, you know, we have some choices. Um, of course, it depends a little bit on how high the blood pressure is. You know, let's, I would say an average patient. So let's say I have a healthy patient, an otherwise healthy patient that comes in and we find that their blood pressure is 150 over 
85 in the office. First thing we do is sort of validate that that is something that's happening all the time. You know, of course, some people will come into the office and, um, you know, we're not always the most peaceful place for people to exist right so some people just have their blood pressure jump so we want to get more data unless there's a a more pressing need so sometimes we'll have them come back for some extra blood pressure checks if they're able to check blood pressures at home or if they're willing to get a home blood pressure cuff then we'll have them check some home blood pressures too but assuming that we do find that yeah most of their blood pressures are higher than than our goal then when I talk to people about choices we have in blood pressure medication there's a bunch of different sort of classes of medicine that help high blood pressure, most of our guidelines give us sort of the choice among three first lines. So usually we'll start one of those. Um, And so those classes would include thiazide diuretics. So hydrochlorothiazide or chlorthalidone are the most common ones we use. That's a type of medicine that acts at the kidney to help eliminate more sodium. And so people might notice, you know, a diuretic effect. They urinate a little bit more in the hours after they take that. But they're very effective at treating high blood pressure. The other class that we use often are ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers, ARBs. So common ones that people might recognize would be lisinopril, losartan, valsartan, um, and anything that ends in pril or sartan (laughs) is probably one of those medications. Those act at the level of the kidney to sort of block one of those hormonal chains that tends to result in higher blood pressure. Also very effective and really good for the kidneys. We also use these medicines in heart failure and some other reasons. So these are commonly used meds. And then the third sort of first line choice for blood pressure are what we call calcium channel blockers. So common ones of these would be amlodipine, nifedipine. These tend, these don't act at the kidney. So these ones tend to just kind of relax blood vessels by um, uh, blocking a receptor and um, are also very effective. Um, So, you know, some, we, we all have our reasons for choosing one over the other. Maybe Mm -hmm. the patient has a condition otherwise that that it makes sense to choose one of those things but most of our guidelines would say any one of those would be a fine first choice okay and then if we've kind of exhausted those options then we have other choices too if we have high blood pressure Mm -hmm. can we over time either through medicine or changes in our diet or the way we are do we'll perhaps self kind of correct and no longer need a medication for that? So I have t- I have definitely taken people off of blood pressure medication, yes. Okay. I mean, I, and so some of that might have to do with lifestyle change, you know, maybe um, something about diet, exercise, um, or quitting smoking changes, and the patient might no longer need blood pressure medicine. Sometimes just aging, blood pressure changes. So mm-hmm. I've seen that happen both ways. I've seen people get on an age and they've never needed blood pressure medication, suddenly have high blood pressure. I've seen people who've been on blood pressure medication for 30 years suddenly have lower blood pressure and we say, oh, we better back off on this blood pressure medication as they age. Mm -hmm. Um, And it probably just has to do with some physiologic changes that occur in in the blood vessels. Okay, so we can see some changes in our high blood pressure. It evolves, so it's important to check in um, Mm -hmm. and know what the signs are of like too low of blood pressure to look for in case you might experience that too. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We Thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We have a few minutes left if you want to give us a call with your questions at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. 
Be aware, with warmer weather, you may find ticks. Ticks live in grassy, bushy, or wooded areas. Spending time outside walking your dog, camping, gardening, or hunting can bring you in close contact with ticks. To prevent ticks from attaching, treat your clothes and gear with products containing 0.5% permethrin. Permethrin can be used to treat boots, clothing, and camping gear and remains protective through several washings. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. You can give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. We're talking this morning about high blood pressure or hypertension, mm-hmm. and one of the segments I really enjoyed from the television show was learning about um, the the tools and equipment we have now to take our blood pressure at home. Yeah. What When is that helpful, Dr. Evans? Mm-hmm. What do we need to be aware of if that's a good option for us right. and how accurate those things are? Yeah. And so I... Overall, I'm a big fan of people being able to measure their blood pressure at home. Um, but you're right, there like they, there can be some pitfalls. So first of all, you know, if I have a patient that we're watching blood pressure and maybe they're on treatment, maybe they're not. But let's say that they're high in the office and they say, well, doc, my blood pressure at home, I check it, you know, every day and it's 120 over 80. My first question that I want to answer is, is that home blood pressure cuff accurate? Because, of course, there's variability there, um, and it depends a little bit on, you know, how, how many years have you had this thing and, and um, how, how, what type is it in the first place. So what I'll usually have them do is actually bring their home cuff into the office and even just have them visit with a nurse. And so what we'll say, okay, rest for a few five minutes check your blood pressure here just like you would at home just you know like without us interfering and then we'll measure it with the manual cuff and just see how close they are and if they're within probably 10 points of each other that's pretty good accuracy and then i'm happy to rely on home blood pressure data which is you know of course we expect that to probably reflect people's blood pressure a little bit better um the the other sort of important things for people to know when they do check their blood pressure is to try and do it when you've rested for five or ten minutes and not you know not when you've rushed in from work or when not when you're feeling crummy or anxious or anything like that and then the other thing that I tell my my patients I I I have in my experience there are some patients who struggle with home blood pressure readings because it does sort of drive anxiety a little bit so they Mm -hmm. get a high blood pressure they want to check it again 10 minutes later and it just gets higher and higher right because they're worried about the blood pressure Mm -hmm. um and so I've I've had some patients where we've kind of gotten into a cycle and I actually tell them I think we need to not check your blood pressure at home anymore let's just check it when you come into the office and rely on those readings um so I think that's it's it's maybe a little patient dependent but most patients um i think it's useful more data can be useful so high blood pressure isn't necessarily um an emergency thing right very rarely is high blood pressure an emergency agreed so you know when it's an emergency is when you're truly having symptoms from that so if you're having neurologic stroke like or confusion symptoms or if you're having chest pain or shortness of breath from it then it might be worth a trip to the emergency room if you're just at home and check your blood pressure and it's 180 over 100 but you feel otherwise okay probably not an emergency and can wait till calling the office the next 
next day. Sure. Mm-hmm. So document it. Yeah, document it. And, and certainly we want to hear about that. Um, but I think people do struggle to know when should I go to the emergency room mm-hmm. for these high blood pressures. Um, so I would say the answer is rarely for most people. Sure. Mm-hmm. So do these tools... Um, track your data for you some of them do like, yep like, some of okay. you know I, I, you we have the very basic ones that you still probably got to take keep a written log okay but of course mm-hmm. there are some sophisticated ones that link to an app on your smartphone and and people sure. share their data that way so sure um yeah i think it's it it varies but of course those have evolved with time as well yeah yeah excellent yep. that's good well, we're about to wrap up, but I just wanted to mention next week we have kind of a different show planned. We have a couple people coming from Brookings Health System who are going to help us understand Medicare. So okay, if anyone great. has questions or wants to learn more about that, because I know for many of us, we don't, I don't know much about Medicare. So and there is so much, you know what, my patients, it is... It is challenging, that transition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, trying to make the right decision about some of those things can be hard for people. So I think it's great. Right. So Mm -hmm. tune in next week if you want to learn more about Medicare and maybe even have some questions ready and give a call next week so um, some of those questions can be addressed. Well, before we go, please be sure to tune into South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. This week on Thursday, July 27th, we have an encore episode. Prairie Doc host Dr. Kelly Evans Hollinger is joined by nephrologist Dr. Jose Haneo from Monument Health Rapid City Clinic and family physician Dr. Amy Cook from Sanford Health Brookings Clinic to discuss hypertension. So tune in tomorrow night on SDPB television to learn all about high blood pressure. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.